women's empowerment is time anywhere, Yeah, you know, like it's time. And so being able to create more time for these women means that they can do other things, you know, that, I mean, there's a whole craft center there that's now been built where women are learning how to sew and how to do beadwork and things like that. So they could help provide for their family in other ways. If they, if eight hours of their day wasn't spent just getting water and dodging elephants. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. By embracing all complexities of being a woman, our goal is to share real stories that inspire growth and empower all women to be the best versions of themselves. And as Maya Angelou so eloquently said, when we know better, we do better. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Okay, so today we are talking with Heidi Totten. She and I connected a few years back through my foundation. And since then, we've kind of supported each other in our efforts to make a difference in the world. Heidi is also a coach and a mentor to people that want to create an online business. She's also a three-time best-selling author, which we will discuss in the interview. But I really want to focus on her 100 Humanitarian Foundation. We just really are excited about the work she is doing and want to kind of dive in and see how she was inspired by it, what she's doing today since she started, and how it came to life. So Heidi, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Share with us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm old. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm older than I look. And in my 50 years on this planet, I've done a lot of different things. Um, originally my background, once I went to, to college was in family science, and then I morphed into doing technical recruiting. So it was a little bit of a, of a divergent off the path. Um, but it, it really, you know, I'm, everything that I do is really social focused and people focused. And so, um, I was able to connect it in my own special way. Um, But then I got married and had kids. And around the time my daughter was 18 months, I was going crazy. And I was like, I am so, I'm not cut out to not do something. You know, Um, I can only sing backyardigans so many days in a row. And so I decided that I was going to go back to work. And I was just working from home part time and started a recruiting company with two business partners. And it turned out that we had a lot of experience in recruiting and no experience in running a business collectively. (laughs) And so that imploded pretty quickly. And I realized that if I wanted to do anything in my life, that I needed to learn the nuts and bolts of business. And so I got involved in a, a coaching program. I'm a big believer in coaching and mentoring. And I got involved in, it was a business intensive retreat that I went to. That was my 40th birthday present to myself. Like most people, you know, they go exotic places. And I went to Bear Lake for a freezing cold business intensive <laughs> retreat. Um, but I'm kind of nerdy like that. So I did a two-year program and it was really focused on the nuts and bolts of business, which I really needed and came out of that. And, you know, I had people saying, what do you want to do with this? And I was like, I don't know. 
And then a friend of mine said, okay, here's the deal. You're coming over on Thursday and I am just going to pay you whatever you want. And you're just going to look at my business and, and apply everything you learned. And I said, okay, that sounds like fun. And so I charged her $50 an hour. Oh my gosh. And we did two and a half hours and she went on and made about $150,000 from that strategy session. And I was like, I'm going to start charging more. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm better at this than I thought. So that really launched my coaching and mentoring business. And, and because I was in technical recruiting, I really loved the tech side. And so that's what I've been doing as a, you know, as a business is helping startup entrepreneurs and solopreneurs with all of their tech stuff, their business startup and things like that. And that's what I've been doing for the last oh, about 10 years. This same friend kept trying to talk me into going to Kenya. And my feeling was there are about 50 other countries that I would rather go to <laughs> before setting foot on the continent of Africa because there are dust and there are bugs and it's hot. And then I had another friend that I was working with that said, you really should go. I've been twice. And she kind of talked me into it. I thought, oh, fine. I will shut these people up and I will go and get it over with. And on day two, I was like, oh no, this is the thing. This is my thing. And this is something that I am going to really dive into because my family science background resurfaced and all the things that I had learned there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can help families with economic development and self-reliance. And I had the background that I can apply. And so that was 21 trips ago. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've been on the ground in Kenya 21 times and started my organization. And now, you know, I'm not the only one that runs trips. So we have different team leads and different focuses, and it's just grown exponentially. But it really started with how can we help individual families to thrive and to grow and to get above that dollar ninety a day poverty line that is so challenging. So yeah, so that's how I got started in all of this. That is, it's just so amazing to me. One, thank you for your, for all your work, but that's fascinating. But I've heard from many people who do service missions or volunteer work. And they say, once you get there, it just gets in your soul and you cannot not help. It's very true. Oh. Very true. I literally like spend half my life in Kenya just mentally. You know, I mean, when I'm not there, I'm thinking about what we need to do there. So yeah, it is, it is a thing. <laughs> it's my thing now. Talk about the family expeditions and how those are put together and how many you do a year. Well, we started off in 2015 and, you know, the origin story is really funny because I knew I wanted to do something there, but I didn't know what, and starting a nonprofit was not even in my realm of thinking at all. I was like, oh no, why would I do that? I'm just going to go help. <laughs> you know, like why would, but of course then you have to fundraise and you have to do all of that. So you kind of dive in and we actually started under another organization. They were our fiscal sponsors so that we would be able to start fundraising right away. And then after a couple of years, when we knew what we were doing, we rolled out, out from under them. But that, that first summer, and it was actually last, it was last week that was my seventh anniversary of starting. I got out of the shower 
and heard a voice that said, go start a group on Facebook called 100 Humanitarians, and I'll let you know why. And I was in a towel and I said, can I get dressed first? (laughs) And the voice was like, just do it. So I literally started this organization in a towel, like (laughs) on my phone. I mean, it's that ridiculous, you know, but sometimes that's how these things start. It's not a lot of planning. It's just impromptu. And so I started inviting people to the group and stuff like that. And over the course of the next few weeks, as things came together and, and we found a fiscal sponsor, the idea came to my mind of what is the power of 100 people working together on any project in the world to create positive change? And we've heard, you know, the hundredth monkey, there's the tipping point, there's like, there's a power in that number. And I think it was right after, it was right after my hundredth person came to Kenya that your daughter, Christy Kennedy, came on a trip with us. So it was the very next trip. So it's interesting because that's when things really changed was on that trip that Kennedy went on. And prior to that, I had taken a hundred people to Kenya and I kept thinking, what's going to happen after I take a hundred people? I don't know what's going to happen. And then that's when everything really changed and we locked in on the projects that we really needed to do over there. So, you know, it's, this has really been kind of a, a faith walk and also a I don't know, what am I doing today? <laughs> you know, like as I wow. figure it all out. Oh, and and that's how it's been since the beginning. It's just kind of I wait for what the next thing is and then I act and and then things magic happens. So Heidi, tell us, tell us what projects specifically you have done while you have been there. Do you have a way to quantify how many families or what you have been able to do? What's your impact been? Yeah. So that took a while, obviously. Um to really get solid. How do we help these families? In fact, early on, we were doing business boxes for families where we would donate a cow and then a goat and then chickens and then a garden. And and then we had a couple of cows die. And I was like, cows are really expensive to have die when we're such a small organization, especially, you know, maybe we ought to leave that to Heifer International or something that's like has a little bit more funding. And so we flipped our entire model to gardens. And so we were doing square foot gardens because of course, you know, that's kind of do square foot gardens. So here we are in a country where deforestation is taking place and we're chopping down trees, not a good idea. And then as we're building these, we're realizing like, oh my gosh, termites. (laughs) Like So termites are going to eat through this wood. They are not going to last very long, but we did it anyway. And we built 21 of those for families. And then it was actually, it was on Kennedy's trip that one of our directors came to us a few weeks before the trip. And he said, here are these mesh bags made out of shade fabric and they're vertical towers and they grow 120 plants and they're way cheaper than the garden boxes. And can we use that instead? And I was like, yes, please. You know, so that really launched. In fact, you know, I have pictures of it where they built the very first two garden towers for families. And then through 2018, this was the summer of 2018, through that year, we were just working on them with families. And so we built like, 10 here, a couple here. We built a community garden. And then we rolled over into 2019. And that's when we connected with the USANA Foundation. And the USANA Foundation is all about feeding the world. And they had been looking for a sustainable project and hadn't found anything that would work. And I marched into their office and being the somewhat assertive person that I am, said, oh, you need to look at these. 
And they were like, is that a like muscle shirt? I mean, they had no idea. I just had this empty mesh bag. And I said, no, no, look, you can turn it into a garden. You should have seen the skepticism on their faces. They were like, what are you even talking about? And I sent them pictures and I pestered them for six months. And finally, I think just to shut me up, they said, all right, we will throw some money at you for a pilot project and, and go do 200 families. And we were like, 200 families. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so, um, so we got everything organized and that fall, the fall of 2019, we launched the garden tower project in one of our communities in Beaumet. And this is actually a community where we have a training center. We've established a lot of different projects and, and things have really worked well there. So we thought that would, that would be the most successful. And, uh, we got 30 families in and then COVID hit and we were like, no, how are we going to do this? Like we have to finish this pilot project. And and the country was shut down for 13 weeks. It was just such a crazy time. Nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what to expect. And so our garden team, oddly enough, um, they, well, odd, not oddly, but we sponsored some of them in high school. And so we, when we started this project, we were like, hey, can we pay you to go do these, you know? And and they were like, yes. And, you know, now, of course, they've, they've built actually thousands, but but at the time it was those, those 30. And I kept thinking, who are these boys going to be on the other side of this project? Like after they built with all these families and it's been absolutely beautiful to see the transition and all of them. And I'll go into that in just a second, because it's kind of funny, but it took an entire year to build those garden towers for the 20 families. And, and we built, we build two garden towers per family and each garden tower feeds five people five to eight meals a week ongoing, as long as they're maintaining the garden towers for up to 10 years. So each garden tower has the capability of 15 or yeah, 15,000 meals over the 10 years. So it's huge. It's a really big deal because that's nutrition and that's vegetables. And what it means is that that family, they don't have to spend money on vegetables so they can spend money elsewhere. So it automatically increases their income in that way. And then they can sell or trade excess vegetables for other things they need. So we saw this as, oh my gosh, this garden tower creates stewardship, creates income, and it literally starts the process of getting them out of extreme poverty. And when they show stewardship over garden towers, then we come in and, and like each team will fundraise for chicken businesses. So then they can start an egg laying chicken business. And as they breed the chickens and as they build it, that's what actually gets them out of, out of poverty. So it reduces the cost of the business box for families from like $1,000 down to like $100, you know, like, which was really great. So it took us a full year to do those first 200 families. And then we went in with our report to the USANA Foundation and they were like, this is unbelievable. And I talked the president into coming to Kenya with us. And now it's their sustainability project and it's going all over the world. And like I'm going to Mexico with them and, and they have completely funded our project in Kenya. And we are surpassing, like, literally every day I get pictures because now we're in eight communities. We've got garden teams. We've got community gardens. I mean, literally we do, you know, we can do a hundred in a week. It's that fast. And we we're employing over 50 people with this project in Kenya. So with that, we track every single family and we track 
their names, we track how many members are in their family and their biggest challenges so that we know how to help them. And we keep it all in a huge database. And so, so we track everything. So we can tell you, I mean, I can't tell you right now because I'm not the one tracking it, but we can tell you down to the exact person, how many families we've helped since starting this. It's pretty cool. Well, oh my gosh, congratulations, because that is just outstanding. Like it's just, it's so much bigger than I thought. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So not only are you changing lives in Kenya, but I want to talk about how significant of an impact you're having with the families that you're taking from here. I mean, I look back in 2017, when Kennedy went and we talked about where she was at with her grief, of losing her brother, mm-hmm. and just as a teenager, struggling with all the dynamics of that when you and I spoke and decided, let's see what this trip would do for her and what this experience would be like for her. And I know that you have to have this with probably so many people that you take on these tours to go and serve you know, for Kennedy, when she came back, it completely had transformed her. Mm. Talk about that, because you are making a difference here, Heidi. Not only is this so big and impactful for the people and the families that you're serving, but it's happening here with the people that you're taking. Yeah, it, I think it was my one of my first days in Kenya when I actually said the words out loud, we need Kenya more than Kenya needs us. And the transformation that takes place as we shift our lives into settling into a different time of like the planet, right? I mean, we're going back in time, literally, sometimes hundreds of years, and seeing how people lived and how people still live, and recognizing the amazing things we have in our life, and also the gratitude, and at the same time, being completely baffled by all of these children that have nothing and that are the happiest people you will ever meet in your life. And so I realized in taking people over there that there was a huge responsibility in their transformation as well. It what It's not just the work that we do over there, but it really is. I want people to be able to see something different and to be able to come back here and implement it in their lives here. And so we actually have about 25% of people who come with us come back because they love it so much. They connect with the people, they connect with the land. We're working in the number one safari destination in the world. So obviously we go on safari, but it really is integrating in with the people and the culture and you just see things so differently and you, I don't know. I mean, I can't quantify the change that takes place in people. And and honestly, there have been people that have gone that I've never talked to again. And I look at pictures, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot they even ever came with me because 21 trips, you know, like or 20. It, it takes it takes its toll on my brain. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it is I have seen like my daughter's been eight times and my daughter went with your daughter. They had that experience together and just watching her grow up, I can simply say to her, if she's being entitled, cut it out, you've been there. And that's all I have to say, you know, and it and it shifts how she's responding to me. So I can definitely see that there's been a transformation in her. As things have gone on, you know, of course, like I said, initially, it was it was a cool experience. But, you know, the first few years for people, but then since this garden project and seeing the impact 
um, and the water projects we're doing, because obviously if you're going to grow gardens, you have to do water projects too, in order for them to have access to it. And seeing that, that transformation in, in just the trips and how impactful they are has been huge. So we've really, we've really had some incredible miracles and experiences happening happen. In fact, it was so funny when I took the president at the USADA Foundation, we were at the airport and I said to him, so how many, how many times are you going to come to Kenya with me? And he, he's been all over the world, obviously, but he had never been to Kenya. And he said, oh, this is kind of a one and done. We're going to get the video we need, yada, yada, yada. And I said, all right. And so we land on the Maasai Mara, which is where the Maasai tribe lives. And we do a lot of work there. And we actually built a house there during the pandemic. And so now we have a guest house where our teams can come and stay. And that creates an, a whole new level of experience because then you're all in a house together and you're eating all your meals right together. And, and it's a smaller group and there's just, there's, and we have the best chef in Kenya. So there's just a magic that, that takes place when we're all in that confined space. And so, you know, we got there and and it was my first time staying at the guest house, which that, like the fact that I was brave enough to bring the president of the USADA Foundation, my first time staying at the house, the architecture isn't quite as good as <laughs> in the United States. So I was like, be prepared for anything. I don't know what to expect here. But the, when, you know, when we got out of the Jeeps, a whole group of Maasai warriors came running around the corner, singing and dancing and welcoming us in and you know, took us into the house where we ate this incredible lunch and we walked out and Brian said, what would it take for me to have a cottage right there? And I said, <laughs> oh, I thought this was a one and done trip. And he just rolled his eyes and was like, yeah, there's no way that I'm not coming back. And that was on the second day. So, you know, it, wow. it really, it really, um, you just feel like, a, like you're home in a different way. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but they really, you know, the the tribe and the people and they, they just make you feel like they've just been waiting all of these years for you to arrive. And now their life can be complete because they've met you. And, and that's a, a really powerful experience to have. Discover adventure, discover luxury, discover Moab with exclusive retreats for your next vacation or event. Wake up to amazing views only minutes from Utah's most breathtaking national and state parks and Moab's best shopping and dining. Enjoy your fully stocked vacation home with private pool and hot tub. Every room is a luxurious private suite, plus daily maid service and private chefs are available. Exclusive retreats. We're not your home away from home. We are better. Book today at ExclusiveRetreats.com. Wow. I was going to ask you, Heidi. So you mentioned earlier, you said Kenya doesn't need us. We need Kenya. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest transformation you have seen in people? I mean, going back 21 times, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've, have you seen some of the same families you've been to before, or have you seen the biggest transformation in the people that are going over? Oh gosh, that's a tough one because, you know, as I said, we, um, some of our garden tower team, we sponsored them in high school. So I've known them like this entire time. And so seeing the transformation in them there, I mean, a couple of them are now in college. One is our project manager. He just came with us on our trip through some of, we did site visits and he just came with us and then got home and said, okay, mom, I need money for fencing and I'm building this and I'm doing this. And I, you know, so like he's implementing everything he just saw 
that is being done by in other communities, which is he had never been. He had never been to those areas of Kenya. So just seeing how he's taken the reins on that, watching our community directors. Um, Anita, who is one of our community directors, is now running for what is basically the equivalent of mayor of the area and is going to win, you know, like she's the favored to win. And so to see how she's transformed and changed, um, Christine, who's our women's director, who literally, when she was 12 years old, had to leave home and had to drop out of school and ended up pregnant in the slums and raised her daughter and and uh, ultimately learned to sew. Every time she tells her story, she heals a part of what she experienced and and she's healing it in layers. With this garden tower project that we are doing, Christine is one of our community directors as well. And so she was able to go back into her community that rejected her and reconcile with her father who was abusive and, and reconcile with her mother before she passed away. And she's now building garden towers in her community and leading her community in this endeavor. She came to me and said, we need to preserve a spring because they don't have water. And this is the, the, this spring is the closest water. And so we need to make it more accessible. So we did that. And in June, when we were there and we went to her house in Western Kenya, she lives in Nairobi most of the time, but she's building a house in Western Kenya for retirement and stuff. When we went to her house, there were hundreds of people there that came out that all have garden towers that were there to support her and talk about um, the impact that she's had in their community. And just this week, you know, Kenyans are facing starvation. I mean, so many people in so many countries are, but they're facing starvation um, because of the supply chain. And so uh, we got an emergency grant to do rice and beans for families. So it provides a meal of rice and beans every day one meal a day um, to help basically prevent them from starving. And Christine, you know, <laughs> she's so amazing. She's gone in and she hasn't just delivered the rice and beans to these families, these widows, these young mothers, she's cooked for them. So she's gone above and beyond and sat down and taken the time and cooked them a meal and talked to them about what's going on with their life so that she can get to know them so that she knows how to help them moving forward. And she's identified, if, you know, if they can do a garden tower and things like that. So to go from a girl that dropped out of school, pregnant in the slums, prostitution, you know, I mean, to go from that to where she is now, um, because she's been involved with everything that we've been doing and she leads out on so many things, like it's worth it to me just for her. She, like I said, she's the first woman that I met in Kenya. I got off the plane. I hugged Christine seeing her transformation over the last seven years, I, I would do it all for her. That's amazing. I would absolutely do it for her. That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and so seeing the individuals, um, as far as the families, it's been fascinating to see some of the early families that we worked with on garden towers that we then gave chickens to and goats and how they are mentoring other families. So that's a big change is that they go from recipient to leadership. And in mentoring and helping other people, um, as far as people who have come with me, it's it's really fascinating to spend the first few days with everyone saying, so what time are we? That's the question. What time are we going to? And I'm like, why do you have somewhere else you need to be <laughs> like, sorry, you're stuck here on the other side of the planet. 
there's no time. It's here's what's next, right? We don't have to look at a clock. We can slow down our pace. And that's so challenging for Americans. But by the end of the week, they're like, Hakuna Matata, let's get in the jeep. Like <laughs> they relax so much and their inhibitions are down and they're just like, it's funny. So instead of the biggest question is like, are there bathroom facilities? I'm like, have you ever been camping? <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, really there, of course there are everywhere you look, there's a bush, you know, totally <laughs> fine. and so, so seeing how they like shift into, you know, going from like uptight and frazzled American to relaxed and a, a slower pace is really amazing. And I think that's why they come back because they're just like, I need that peace. I need that like letting go of all of this. I, that's why I need it. You know, I can start to tell when I need Kenya because I start to get angry, you know, and stressed out. And I'm like, oh, I got to take a trip. I got to go and sit in some dirt and get grounded again. So yeah, it's, you know, I could tell a thousand individual stories, um, but everyone has had the transformation that they have seemed to need. And there's such a shift in serving, you know, and I I go back to talking about Kennedy and, and myself personally with serving, whether you're serving here locally or you're serving in another country, you basically become outside of yourself, which allows us to embrace in the moment and not think about us and think about someone else. And that is so like that awareness can just bring so much healing to someone depending on what, you know, where they're at in their life. So I want to ask you who is coming to you to do these tours and how are they finding you? And then I want you to kind of talk about the cost involved. Sure. Um, So now we're running so many different trips, you know, those first few years, it was three times a year and it was kind of a, whoever signs up, you know, um, largely through my network, but sometimes it was just random people that would find us on Facebook. And there were people that I didn't even meet until we landed in Nairobi. You know, I didn't know them at all. Um, Now it is more referral. People obviously have seen a trip and then they want to go on one. In fact, uh, the one that I'm running in November, a woman from grade school that I that I went grade school, junior high, high school, she signed up for and she said, this is my 50th birthday present to myself. And um, so I'm excited for that because that'll be fun. She's literally the oldest friend that I've had that will be going. So now because we have our guest house, it gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of costs and things like that. Our guest house sleeps eight. And so we're starting to plan family service trips for families so they can put together members of their their family, um, up to eight people. And actually we have one room for kids that has like bunk beds and stuff like that. So they could even, you know, go up to nine or 10 with that room. And so organizing family service trips so they can have that experience. And then we do our, you know, regular garden variety trips that is just here's eight spots come and join us if this calls to you. And then we're also organizing more corporate leadership trips to give, you know, different corporate groups the opportunity to incentive trips, leadership. Um, our, Our board chair is a John Maxwell certified coach and so am I now. So we're bringing in the leadership game and they get an opportunity to serve in the, in the community to learn leadership skills, go on safari. It's, it's kind of a, a transformational experience for them. So 
each trip is different at this point because we're customizing it based on who's going, the needs, you know, what we're going to be doing. Our base price for trips is $32.50 plus flight as of this year. Like everywhere else in the world, Kenya's costs have gone up, unfortunately, gas prices and food and things like that. But that includes everything. So that's, you know, everything on the ground is taken care of. And and you just have flight and insurance and the online visa that you have to get. With some of the leadership trips, if we're staying in, you know, higher end safari camps or things like that, then that adjusts the price. But yeah, that's where, and, and the family trips are more because you don't have a team lead going and stuff like that. So we just, our team in Kenya is stellar and you've met Moses, Christy. Mm -hmm. So I just send people and I'm like, here. Yeah, I mean, we had a a family go last week and and it it was seven of them. And I was basically like, here you go. Here are the dates, go pick them up. Here's their schedule, go. And we've done so many now that it's not a challenge, you know? (laughs) So yeah, we've really been able to morph and and get in a place where we can customize trips for people. If they just want to put together a group of friends and they say, we just want to put together a group of friends and go over, we can do that as well. So it's, it's given us a lot more flexibility and we're really running expeditions or family trips or something almost every month now. So there are a lot of opportunities to get involved. Amazing. What are your needs? Well, a couple of things. Um, one is that we're still doing sewathons, um, which we did with you, Christy, but we're actually sewing garden towers for USANA to send all over the world because this is still so new that we don't have a manufacturing company creating them. They're sewn in country by sewing teams. And so, um, so we've been sewing them and having like youth groups and anyone that wants to do service. You know, I mean, we've done it with corporations that want to do service projects and stuff. And by sewathon, I mean, it's a straight line. <laughs> There's like no challenge at all with it. You just cut, pin, sew, and then drill the holes in the, in the garden tower. So locally in Utah, we're doing a lot of those. I actually have a whole setup in my house. So even if somebody just says, I just want to come over and help serve, I'm going to come help sew garden towers for an hour. I'm like, great, let's do it. So that's, you know, and in terms of getting involved in that way, our projects have gotten so much bigger. I mean, the USANA Foundation has funded the garden towers, but these water projects are huge. And they, there are the depth that you have to drill for boreholes is it varies based on where you are in Kenya. And so in some of our communities, you have to go down 50 to 60 meters. There's an organization called Who Lives and they do the village drill. And so we've talked to them about doing boreholes in those areas so that people have access to clean water. We've done spring preservations where we take a spring in the ground and we build out a concrete container so it, it keeps it away from the animals. I mean, all of these all of these families are subject to waterborne illnesses because they're sharing their water source with, with um, animals. On the Maasai Mara, the biggest challenge is that you have to drill down 250 meters, which means bringing in bigger rigs and way more expensive. And one of the things that we discovered last November that just shredded me, I mean, after so many trips, I would have thought that I would have been aware of this problem because I try really hard to know based on the community what the challenges are. But we were talking to two young moms and one had a toddler and a baby and the other had a couple of toddlers and, you know, uh, some older kids in school. And she said, or, and they were saying, we have to walk three times a day 
for water, which is several kilometers away. And we share our the water source with elephants, Cape buffalo, and lions, three of the biggest killers in Kenya. And so we can't take our kids. So we have to find somebody to watch our children so that we can walk to water three times a day. Because if we get attacked or we get chased, we have to drop our water and run. And I was like, this is ridiculous that this exists. I mean, we've all heard the stories of African women walking to water. But walking to water and being in danger every time of being attacked by an elephant, like that's that doesn't work for me. And so I started like, all right, we need to drill boreholes close to the road because the animals won't go where all of the Jeeps and the lorry trucks and things like that are driving. And at our guest house, which is right next to the road, we were able to have a survey done to be able to drill water there and then pipe it out to access points for women walking along the road so that they have clean water and they have safe access to water. So that is my biggest thing right now is fundraising. We've been working on it all summer to fundraise for that borehole, which is around $60,000. So it's not cheap, but to fundraise for that borehole so that those women no longer are in danger. And I'm like, I understand that women are still going to have to walk for water there but they shouldn't be dodging elephants in the process. Like that just makes me crazy. So really quick, I don't know if you're still doing this and I feel terrible for, for not being aware of it, but you do a lot of fundraising through social media yeah. and you have a day or two where you're doing dollar donations or something like that. Talk about that real quick, because I think that will be super helpful for people that want to contribute and help. Yeah, we do $5 Fridays. That's our big thing is, you know, donate on a Friday, $5. I mean, obviously we have our website where people can donate and then we do Facebook fundraisers all the time. This is going to take more though. Like, honestly, this is be something where I would be like, does somebody want to sponsor this and have their name on it and have it be their impact project? Because obviously we have the survey, we have the location, we have everything set up for that. So while we're fundraising for towards it, we know that it's going to take something yeah. bigger, you know? So if there is somebody in your audience that says, yes, absolutely. Or even a group of people that want to get together and be like, let's take care of this problem for women, for these women, it will impact 25 villages in the area. It's hundreds of people. And it's just, you know, there's no other option for them. It, it, we even this same exact location where the, where these women were getting their spring, we preserved the spring. So we came in, we did the concrete, and then an elephant before the concrete was dry went and knocked over the wall. And I was like, that was literally like an hour before we got there to go and look at the spring. And I was like, okay, all right, this is this is their life. Like this is real life. And but we can change things. We can change like literally it takes so little to change so much for them. And like I said, no other options. And there aren't organizations going in there to drill because of the sheer cost of it. But I'm like, but we can do one. We can do that. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, Heidi, that story. I mean, for everybody out there listening, I mean, you do, we got to get the word out because I sit there and think when I get up in the morning and go to my coffee, and I have water and I can pour me a cup of coffee and I get to go and have a shower. I mean, I can't even imagine what they're facing every day that we just take for granted. 
And I, I'm the same way. I brush my teeth and I'm like, turn off the water. <laughs> like, like, it's just all the things we use water for that we don't even think about. And that, you know, one, I mean, one of the things we've been doing is bringing them thousand liter tanks to try and capture rainwater off the roofs. That's actually reduced their walks to water 50 times a year on average, because we've brought in these tanks where they can capture the rainwater. Wow. And so imagine, I mean, literally these women would be within, you know, maybe a kilometer, not even that they're, they're kind of like our next door neighbors ish. And they would be with easy, within easy walking distance of just going over, filling up their cans, coming back, filling up their tanks, being able to store their water and, and like literally just spending their day being able to do other things. I mean, women's empowerment is time anywhere, Yeah, you know, like it's time. And so being able to create more time for these women means that they can do other things, you know, that. I mean, there's a whole craft center there that's now been built where women are learning how to sew and how to do beadwork and things like that. So they could help provide for their family in other ways if they if eight hours of their day wasn't spent just getting water and dodging elephants. So it's a big thing. And and really it's just I'm I do what I do to create awareness around it because it's a little bit distant to be like, yes, we know African women walk to water. It's another thing when you're like, where you're like, let me show you these women right here. I can show you on a Google map where they live, you know, and, and what they're facing. And, and so, yeah, it's really, if I have the opportunity to make a difference, I'm going to make a difference. So you are making a difference. And I would have to say, you know, through our conversation, there's a couple of times that I teared up because I just think about the effort that you put in daily and you've been doing this for so many years and to i mean that's that heidi is so beautiful and so amazing so i just thank you know you. Want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing tell our audience how they can find you well we're all over social media as you've seen we have a facebook group 100 humanitarians international a facebook page our website is 100 humanitarians.org um it's pretty easy to see everything that we're doing on there and, you know, sign up for information on expeditions or make donations We're we're easily findable. And it's easy to just find me on Facebook and message me because I respond a lot. (laughs) So yeah, that's how you can get a hold of us. And I want to say, you know, for our family, we all witnessed the transformation with Kennedy and what a life-changing experience it was for her and how that has impacted her today. So before we wrap this up, I want to ask you, if you could go back to your 16-year-old self, maybe 18, you choose, what would you tell her? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've had people from high school say to me things like, yeah, we expected you to do something like this. (laughs) But my 16 to 18-year-old self was actually coming out of sexual abuse by my stepfather. So I was in a very different place at that time. And I was, you know, working to overcome the trauma from that. But I think that that girl that I would go back and I would say, hang on, because this is going to serve you. Because today, every single woman that I meet in Kenya has experienced some sort of trauma or abuse. In the Maasai tribe, 
100% of the women that I meet have experienced female genital mutilation in early marriage. And having had experience with my own abuse, I can connect to them in a way that I wouldn't be able to if I hadn't. And so going back, I would, I would say, trust me, you will be able to use this experience to help others in the future. And you would not be able to help them in the same way without it. Ugh. Okay. Well, thank you, Heidi. That was amazing. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 